everybody. I am so excited today. I have Dr. Caitlin Goldsmith. She is a clinical psychologist and in specific a sex therapist. And as everyone knows that's on here, I absolutely love the topics of sacred sexuality, sexual healing, and all things healthy sex. I think it's such an important thing that we talk about and we explore, especially as divorce rates are on the rise and they have been on the rise for a while. Sex is such an important part of having a healthy relationship. So thank you so much for coming in today, Caitlin, and saying yes to being interviewed about your work. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about all this stuff. So for those people that don't know what a clinical psychologist that works with sex, what exactly do you do? Yeah, good question. So as a clinical psychologist, um, I was trained kind of from probably what we would say more the medical model, like the DSM-5 and all that sort of a thing. But as a sex therapist, kind of going into more holistic healing as well is a big part of it. So it's not only about you know, cognitive behavior therapy and challenging beliefs, but also incorporating things like mindfulness and meditation and touch into, you know, therapy and practice. And then for those people that don't know, what would you, what is a DS5? Yes. So the DSM-5 is basically the manual from the American Psychiatric Association, which has all of the sexual disorders, we call them, right? So that's where the medical model kind of diagnosis piece comes in. Do you work with sexual disorders? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Give us some examples. Mm -hmm. So I've worked mostly with women. And so in working with women, a lot of the time I see low sexual desire. So sexual desire disorders and also sexual pain. So pain with sexual activity. Activity. What do you do for the ones with uh, low libido? That is such a big question. Cause I think with sexuality, right? Like there's so many different components to it. The thing so about this, I think that's why I love it. Cause it's so complex. And it's like, I feel like when I'm working with people in their sexuality, it makes me use all of the faculties of my brain because yeah. it's like you have to really wrap your head around what's going on for somebody in their, like from my perspective, like their past and just, you know, the, like their belief systems, their subconscious belief systems, which some people don't even know the programs that are running in their brain. And so for me, I'm just like, wow, this is so like, I'm fascinated working with these types of people. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. That's what I find as well. Like with sex therapy, like it's never, it's never just about sex. Like you say, it's like their past relationships and their family systems and parents and religion and culture and body image and self-esteem. Like, yeah, I had uh, one of my clients actually that ended a relationship that she was in for like decades and the husband just got a little chunky and he just stopped having sex and he, and he had really bad body dysmorphia. And she said he wasn't even fat. It was just a tiny bit of being chunky. And he's like, I just don't feel it anymore. I just don't feel like sexual anymore. And it just completely destroyed their relationship because she's such a sexual person. And so, and it's also fascinating when, well, as we're dealing with body dysmorphia issues, but it's like, 
people that love you don't really care that much, like really, really love you. You know, there's some, there's some type A personalities that I've worked with that are just like perfectionist and no one's ever going to like be cut enough, you know, but then that's their own issue that you have to work with them. So how would you work with like those different modalities? Like from one, how would you work with somebody with body dysmorphia? That's like not wanting to have sex because yeah. of body dysmorphia. There's so many different things. And I mean, of course it would depend on the person's background and where they're coming from, but I think you touched on a couple really important points. Like just the beliefs, like the beliefs that people have about sexuality, you know, and one of them might be only, you know, slim, attractive people have sex. And so if you don't feel that you fit into that, you might be limiting yourself and saying, oh, I can't do that. I can't be a sexual person. Um, and people have so many different sexual beliefs, right? Like, oh, sex should just come naturally. And I should just have desire all the time. And I have to feel um, good in my body in order to enjoy sex or, you know, those kind of things. So yeah. challenging those and saying, okay, where, where does that come from? And does that still fit with you? Right. Is that the way that you want to live? Is that the way that you want to move forward in your sexuality? So do you do a lot of like, uh, it's more talk therapy to get to the level of desiring sex for low libido, or are you having them do like cognitive, like reprogramming? Like, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it takes a, it can take a lot of talking just to figure out what somebody's sexual beliefs are. And the thing about them is that they can be really insidious. Like there's two parts to it. It's like, they could intellectually not believe things like, oh, sex should come naturally and, and, and those kind of things. But like they believe it like in their body, right? They have that reaction and it's like really emotional. So even if you like reprogram up here, there's a lot to be done in the body. And that's where moving into things like um, sensate focus, which is a kind of touch, um, meditation, kind of a mindfulness practice that you can do. There's different versions of it, but you can do it with yourself or with a partner. And it involves really getting embodied and being in the present moment and engaging with touch. Mm -hmm. So like more massage techniques. It's kind of like massage. Yeah. But it's like, it's more meditation, like kind of noticing the different, like really tuning into the bare sensations of like temperature, pressure, texture, and practicing bringing yourself into the moment, mm -hmm. with that, which is so important for sexuality because oh, first, yeah. yeah, I teach my clients. It's called, I call it fucking the nervous system. <laughs> You need to have the nervous system before you have sex. <laughs> and because it's like, so, especially with our day and age and our culture, it's just like this, you know, like the 15 second reels and like people's focus just shifting off where, I mean, you know, I'm sure you know this and the audience is going to know now, but it can take 30 minutes for a woman's body to warm up and like actually get wet. Um, most of the time it's going to take... 30 minutes to be honest um because it's like you need the 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 vaginal canal and the lips need to swell and most people don't 
wait that long before it swells. And then there's like lubrication issues and whatnot. And so people just like taking a bath together and just like laying on each other and connecting emotionally. Like there's all these different styles that you could do to deepen that bond before you actually go into the act of having sex. But I like to, I explain the proprioceptors of the body. So that's like, for those of you that don't understand like science as much or you're learning science, it's like when I, if I touch your hand, it's going to ignite different parts of your nervous system than when I touch your foot. And so, and then the different styles of touch is one of the things that I love to work with my clients on. So it's like soft touch, hard touch, tickling, scratching. So you're just, you're basically just like creating a flow with your partner of all these different styles of touch. And then those people that have a little bit of an issue, I like to do breathing techniques, like where you just like breathe their air, you know? So I don't know if you do anything like that, but like, what would be like a little, like a practice that you would give to somebody that like to ignite that touch? Like you called it sensei touch? Yeah. So there's like a series of exercises, which were developed originally by masters and Johnson in like the sixties. And they've been sort of like, you know, redesigned and reimagined over the, there's so many different versions now, but it's called sensate focus. Um, yeah. And how do you spell that? S E N S A T E. I was thinking like sensei, like, you know, like a sensei master. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. What is the style? Basically, it's like progressing through um, a series of exercises that can start with, you know, touching your partner's body in a sensual way, but not a sexual way. Um, so not touching breasts and genitals and just kind of focusing on all the different parts of the body. And it's not a massage. You're kind of tuning into the texture, pressure and temperature and just moving your hands around your partner's body. Um, and then it progresses, right? So then you include breasts and genitals, and then you include um, mutual touch and um, like joint genital touch. So do you like when you're teaching that and people are learning about it, do you kind of like, how would you describe moving into the genital touch if you're in the sensate touch? Do you have a conversation to move into the genital touch or is it just a natural flow and progression? Yeah, it's like, it takes actually like a lot of different steps and practice. Like for example, you might be practicing without breast and genital touch for like several weeks. So you would like practice that a few times a week and then do that for like a few months, just depending on where you're at. Um, part of the exercise is sort of like, an exposure exercise for anxiety, because a lot of people, you know, they've avoided sexual touch or sensual touch for such a long time that they don't, they feel like awkward with their partner. They don't know like how to, yeah. 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 So it can take a long time to basically feel comfortable or comfortable again with your partner. And so you might have to repeat it like for a long time. Yeah. And trauma too. Like, I mean, there's like birth trauma, there's like infidelity trauma, there's, you know, breaking up because you wanted to break up and then the person gets with somebody else kind of trauma. Like there's all different types of trauma that happen that I feel like the sensate touch might be really beautiful for, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. If you have that, like the barriers of trust broken. And I mean, some people like, I mean, some people have various barriers of trust broken because like they think someone's lying to them when they actually didn't lie. They just didn't say anything, you know? And then they're like, you're lying to me. And it's like, no, I just didn't say anything because I didn't think about it. Like I had one client where um, her partner had like went and got a tattoo that day and it was like he was lying because he didn't tell her that he got it he was going to get a tattoo and it was like it, it sounds to me like he just like it kind of was a last minute thing you know but it's like that kind of thing when it when that energy happens it breaks trust for whatever reason you know and I, I always explain to my clients like nobody's like wrong you know everyone's doing their life to the best that they can with their traumas and everything that they have and like I try and help people get rid of the idea of right and wrong and like go into what kind of relationship do you want to build and so you're saying with like the sensate it's like it can take what did you say like three like weeks to months to get to the level of sexuality yes and so how do you like how like there's some people that aren't patient with sex you know like they meet someone and they're just like I want to have sex like yesterday so how would how do you coach people that want to like rush in to come and like got like you guide them with sensei does that make sense like how, how do you like slow down this the wild horses of the world yes you know I think people are so obsessed with like you know in heterosexual relationships with intercourse and like you say it takes you know like 30 minutes right 20 to 40 minutes sometimes for most women to really be ready for sex and so what I try to get people to think about is just expanding the definition of sex like why is the only thing that counts as sex intercourse like there's you know it's not like you have to go to the restaurant every time and order the same five course meal right and you just predictable right it's like there's so many different things to try there's so many different ways to be sexual with your partner that we need to I think get away from this stepwise progression and the emphasis on intercourse so you're looking at sex as like all of the acts, like all of the different styles of touching, like the body exploration, you would put all of it under the umbrella of sex. Exactly. I think you can, right? Anything from- I totally think you can. I actually have been thinking about uh, lately, just like redefining um, my idea of love, like, re like really redefining it because it's like, I've been with people I've been in two like really long relationships, like one four-year relationship and then another four-year relationship. And then we were breaking up for two years, which got toxic in the two years. But the thing with all of the people that I've like really spent a lot of time with is we had that like crazy, passionate, fiery sexual connection. And I think that that's like, even in my open relationship, we had the like two years, crazy, fiery, passionate, sexual connection, but there was a lot of other things that were missing. And I think that now I'm more attracted to like emotional stability and like emotional stability, financial stability, like, like the things that like somebody can provide as a lifelong partner and like, and realizing that those are different facets of love, you know, like, it's not just like this, like crazy fire where it's like before 
I think that when I was getting into relationships, like if I didn't have that fire, it wasn't happening, you know, where I'm like, now I'm like, okay, I think that fire can be cultivated and built over time. Like I don't have to like rush into that fire. I'm still exploring this idea though. It's not like, it's not like this idea is like concrete and it, it is what, does that make sense? Like, cause I think that like, with that being said, like those, like one of my relationships was extremely emotionally toxic. And then the other relationship was extremely financially toxic where they would like rely on me a lot for finances. And, and it was just like, we had passion, but it was like, I didn't have, I wasn't able to like really grow myself because it's like, you have somebody that's like attached to you, that's pulling you down, you know, but, but you have this crazy passion, you know? And it's like, it's, I just don't feel like today being like 33 years old now and having my business and having like so many clients that rely on me that like, I'm like the passion can be built and the other stuff is so much more important. And it's like, I think that that for me has been really maturing in my sexuality because it's like, does that make sense? What I'm saying? It's yes. I think that's such a, like people assume that all the time, like, oh, you know, if the relationship's good, then, you know, the sex will be good or it, it should just come naturally or desire is just a trait, you know, you just have it or you don't, or you just have sexual chemistry with your partner or you don't. And it's like, wait a second, like, is that stuff even true? I don't think so. I, 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 that's what I love exploring these conversations, even with somebody like you that is like working with a lot of different people. And I personally work with a lot of people to a lot of different types of people too. And it's like, you know, sometimes like if you have a full-time job, like some people don't have the energy and it's like, how do you, you know, like if you don't have the energy, it doesn't mean that you don't love your partner or you don't find them attractive or you don't, you're not like, you know, like wanting to spend time with them. It's just like, for whatever reason, like your energy bank is low. So, I mean, with Chinese medicine, like I have like points that I use, you know, I do acupuncture points, like you can fire up the kidneys and that kind of sparks the, the energy to, you know, have that desire, have the will to do so, like the will to get the project done or the will to have sex. And like, I, I have like one treatment that I do on people that literally just like turns the switch back on. But I'm so fascinated by like the psychological process that you're talking about of like the touching and everything. Cause it's like a different modality, you know, where it's like this, this treatment that I do is like with Chinese medicine and acupuncture. And then there's also like tons of herbs that we prescribe as acupuncture to like build the fire internally. But it's fascinating to hear that you can you can do essentially the same thing with talk therapy. So it's like the person understanding their brain and then like the neuro connections, is this right? Like the neuro connections would go back and then essentially refire or like, would it be like the touches, like firing the neurons? Like what, how is that exactly happening? Like what's the science behind it? Yeah. Well, like anything that you're doing, whether it be like experiencing touch in a new way or challenging your thoughts and beliefs, all of those things are learning and learning is building those new connections in your brain, right? So building those neural connections and the more you practice them, the more that they be, they, they come easily, right? And they, they become more it's being built. That's right. Wow. So the more you practice it, the more it just like it, it, it comes naturally for people. Exactly. I mean, that's why our beliefs, like, you know, they, they feel so true, right? We've sort of unintentionally been practicing them maybe for we years. We program ourselves. We totally program ourselves with whatever. I mean, I was raised super Catholic, like super, super Catholic. So 
when I started having sex, I was like, oh shit, I'm going to hell, you know? And it just like, it told, and I would have to like, I mean, in the beginning, I would always, like, I would have to be so drunk to have sex. Like, that's the only way that, like, I could do that. Otherwise, my mind was just like, you're going to hell. Like, you're a bad girl. Like, like all these, like, toxic ideas, like, just like, from a young age, you know, like, I was, like, raised in the church. And so, when I was in college, I was like, you know what? And I mean, granted, like, that was, like, when I started having sex in high school. And then once I had a partner, then I could do it sober. But even then it wasn't like I could do it sober without like extreme Catholic guilt inside of my body, like every time I'd have sex. And then it was interesting because then I got polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I think that the polycystic ovarian syndrome was a multitude of different things. But I think it's fascinating that it's my ovaries. And every time I have sex, I'm feeling just awful about myself. And the next day I'm feeling awful about myself. And so then when I was in college, I made a vow to myself that like, I am absolutely not allowed to have sex with anybody for the first time under the influence. Like if I want to have sex with somebody, I have to have sex with them super sober. And then if I have sex with them sober, then they can be like, if I like them or whatever, they can be a regular partner. But like, I wasn't doing that to myself anymore. And with that practice came a lot of other therapy that I needed (laughs) because it's like, I had to work through that Madonna whore syndrome and like, you know, like, just like that, like, I have this person that loves me and wants to be with me and wants to marry me. And I'm just like feeling like absolute shit every time we have sex and it's sad. And it's like this thing, um, you know, that, that women and men go through with the dogma of these different like ideologies, you know, and these different programs and even some people that are programmed from their lineage, right? So how would you, how do you work through that kind of energy, like lineage stuff and like ancestral or church related things, like like people that come to you and I'm sure you get people that are married too, right? That still have these energies with them. How do you, how do you like work through their brain with that type of trauma? Yeah, I think exploring all of um, all of those factors in terms of messaging. So, you know, what do they remember about, you know, how they learned about sex, right? What were the messages from their parents in the household, right? One of the most common things I hear about parents is they didn't hear anything from their parents. There was nothing. And like, it's such, that is such a powerful message to hear nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so to explore all of those and, you know, even for some people I've heard, you know, people exploring things that they've learned about like their parents, sexual relationships, like infidelities that have happened in their parents' marriage and, and how learning that has impacted their views about sexuality. And so unpacking all of those relationship patterns, like even through different generations and using that as a lens to understand where they're coming from and why they might've been programmed in a certain way from their parents can be really powerful in just creating this insight about where these sexual beliefs come from. And then, you know, moving from there into, okay, well, what do you do about it, right? How can you practice programming maybe new sexual beliefs or different sexual beliefs and and sort of visioning and creating like what that looks like? How do you want to be? Who do you want to be as a sexual person? 
how do you help people find that part of themselves? Yeah, there's so many, there's different ways to do that. But one really interesting one that I like to do is to ask people to sort of try on different sexual identities and like even, you know, in a session, for example, you know, just like closing your eyes and, you know, imagining, you know, I am a sexual woman, right? And just like seeing how that, what does that feel like, right? Or like, what does it feel like to say, I am a fully sensual, sexual woman? Mm. Is it scary to think about that? Is it uncomfortable? Is it, you know, does it ring true? And sort of just working with that and then even applying that to your own life, right? Like, what would it be like to try that on in your next sexual encounter to be a fully sexual, sensual woman or to be like a sex goddess? That's so good. Okay, so I have to tell this story with that being said. I used to be extremely shy sexually, like extremely, extremely shy, which is so funny because now I have like my secret sexuality line and I have my sexual healing line and I'm like this like total woman's sensuality, like empowerment person, like where I'm like, get it girl. But it's so funny because like I, I actually, okay. So one of my really good friends, Natalia, she's, she's Russian and I had a crush on somebody and I was a little tipsy and I came home and I was just like, it's just like, I just have a crush on him. And I had a crush on him for years. And she looks at me and with this, like, I can't do a proper Russian accent but with this thick Russian accent. And she's like, Sheila, you are a powerful woman. You take what you want. <laughs> I just like said that to myself, like until I believed it. I was like, I'm a powerful woman. I'm going to take what I want. I'm a powerful woman. I'm going to take what I want. And then like the next person that I dated uh, and I also like this person I had a crush on for like five years and never acted on it for many different reasons. Like he was kind of like, I wasn't sure, you know, with like his style of way of being, if I wanted to embark on that journey. And then I just like, was like, you know what, this is just a practice for me. Like, oh. And he like was in the bathroom and I just like got naked and I went and like got in the shower with him and he's like, oh, Hey, and I was like, hello. And I just like, like he had this badass bathtub and I just like sat in the bath with him. And that day I actually, we didn't even kiss. We just like sat there naked. And I was like, I'm a powerful woman. <laughs> it's just like, so. Yes. It's so powerful for me. Like, and we ended up dating after that, but it was just like, I, it was just that practice. And even like, honestly, the moving through the insecurities of like, oh my God, he's going to see me naked. I'm like, just like all the different layers of what that looks like when you're not like actually like feeling yourself. And I have like, I've had body dysmorphia. I've had eating disorders. Like I've had all kinds of issues with like myself before I've gotten to this space of just like unconditionally loving myself, even if I'm like 10 pounds heavier or whatever. And I'm just like, whatever, like it's the inside of my light that is attracting people. You know, that's the way that I think about it. But I'm not kidding. Like that mantra for me, like you're a powerful woman, take what you want. It was just like like that. And I hear it in her Russian accent, like every time. And it was just like that practice alone, like doing the bathtub thing. I'm not kidding. Like, I feel like it reprogrammed me. Like just like going in and just like owning the room and then just like sitting down and it, we just like sat there and he, he kind of was shocked. He's like, oh, hey, you know, like, hello. It was like so funny though. <laughs> I love that so much. Cause I think like 
yes, you can tap into like, not only what you're saying to yourself, like what is your internal self-talk, that inner dialogue, but then also like you can do things to like step into that power, which totally gives your brain the message like, oh, this is something I do. Yeah. Well, and it's like so fun too, because it's like, okay. So when I was in, when I was first in in, uh, women's studies, like back when I was like 18 or 19, they had us do this exercise where you get naked and you stand in front of the mirror for three minutes and you just stand there and you observe your thoughts. And like, I don't think I made it three minutes. I just was crying. And it's like crazy because I like, my body's not that different now, but it's just like, I just had crazy body dysmorphia, which I think is a pretty common thing for women to have. But then like going from like that little 19 year old to like my 30 year old self, that's just like, I'm gonna just get naked that with this man that I've never even kissed and I'm just gonna walk into the shower with him and I mean like it wasn't like this kind of energy was invited with him like it was like he was flirting it wasn't like I was like being a yeah. or anything like that like you know what I mean he's just like it was that that piece was invited and so it's just like it's this interesting thing where it's like I think that women often think that like men have to make the first move you know and it's just like being open to that first move and being open to just like flowing or reprogramming yourself. So how did you specifically like get into this and how did, how have you reprogrammed yourself around your own sexual philosophies and beliefs? Yeah. It's so funny because people always ask like, how did you become a sex therapist? And, you know, for me, it was actually really just sort of like serendipitous. Like I didn't go into psychology thinking that I, you know, was going to be a sex therapist. I, you know, initially when I was in undergrad, like my research kind of started in anxiety disorders. I was really interested in, in anxiety. Um, and then eventually I actually participated in some sex research. So I took like a survey and answered a bunch of questions about sex. And I thought, what, what, you can actually study sex in university. And so this whole idea, like I had no idea. And then I took an, a class in undergrad about human sexuality. And then I was like, oh, wow. Okay. This is crazy. I, you know, having not received very much, um, like sex education as a teenager, this was like blowing my mind in university to be able to study this. And it, I just fascinated me because of how, all of these factors, like familial factors, psychology, you know, culture, all of these things just come together to have all these different impacts on people. Like it just fascinates me so much. And so I was totally, I was totally hooked. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to study this in grad school. I've got to keep going with this. And, And I've just enjoyed it so much. And I think one of the things I like most about it is that like, education in this area is so powerful. Like sometimes people just need to hear like they're normal, right? Like, yes, this is like a possible feeling to have the it's normal, you know, to enjoy casual sex or to not enjoy casual sex or to have difficulty with orgasm or to take 30 minutes to feel sexually aroused. And sometimes even these um, pieces of information can just really really transform people like just to have the right information yeah it's super I think that education and understanding is very freeing like you when you have that knowledge knowledge is such power and it's like it's so interesting because I've been um I've been really exploring you know like 
the ideas of like just what's happening in the world right now with like children like pregnancies that are unwanted and and not just pregnancies that are unwanted but children being born that aren't wanted or people like not being able to necessarily afford them and kind of like confused how they got there where it's like it went in America I don't know because you went to school in Canada right yeah so in the United States like my sex education in high school was like don't have sex it's bad you're going to get an STD like it wasn't like at, like here's your menstrual cycle and here's the window that you can get pregnant and it wasn't like about like even I mean I don't take birth control personally for my body I did when I was younger and it doesn't specifically work for me but I have not gotten pregnant and it's like I just track my cycle and I and I understand what's going on in my cycle. And so it's just fascinating because with that education piece that you had like spoken about, I think that the education, we need a serious shift in education around sex and around the programming of sex, even like the way that I talk about it with my partner, not my partners, but my partners too, actually, um, with my clients is that it's like, you have to understand your subconscious and conscious programming because that's gonna inform who you're even mate selecting. You know, where it's like, if you don't understand your subconscious programming, then you might pick a mate that's not actually the best for you. They're like part of your program. And so it's like, you kind of have to like visualize your life the way that you want it, which is what you had even talked about earlier today. So do you have them like map out their life the way they want it? Like, how do you help people get to the place where they're kind of creating the life that they want instead of like, you know, going off of their programs. Yeah, it's so true because people can so often like repeat familiar patterns, right? That they've seen, yeah, um, yeah with their parents or in their family or um, with previous romantic partners as well. Um, so awareness is huge, like just being aware of which patterns that you might be repeating. But like, I think too, one of the really important things is to get in touch with like visioning, like how to imagine. Yeah. The future. Like, what do you, what do you imagine? What do you vision? What do you want to feel? Who do you want to be? And one of like the concrete ways that is helpful, um, that, that I do as well to get in touch with this is to really identify like my values mm -hmm. in the various areas of my life. So, you know, I'll identify like my personal values, what I want my personal life to look like, what I want, like my career values to be, and then within my relationship and just identifying like three to five words that really capture what it is you're trying to create. And then basically saying no to everything that's not that. I love that. So you have your people and you do this for yourself to get three to five words and like open up the visioning. How do you open vision for people that don't necessarily have vision or don't have the will? You know, like I'm sure you get people that are just stuck in, in the muck, I guess you could call it. Like they're stuck in like, not even like some people victim, but like kind of that, like they just don't, they don't see it. Like, how, do you like help them? Like, do you guide them through meditation or what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's true because people, sometimes you're just in like a dark place and you just can't even think of anything positive or anything that you want to move toward. And that's really difficult. Um, but in that case, sometimes I find just, you know, instead of, if they can't like visualize it, like just saying some words out loud to them and like anything that sort of feels like, oh, that, that kind of fits 
this, or that sounds like something I would like, um, or maybe future me would want to be, it can kind of spark that a little bit, right? So, you know, words like um, freedom, growth, beauty, knowledge, right? And just kind of like exploring those and then just having each word kind of sit with you and say, oh, like, is that, does that fit? Oh, I love that. So you're just kind of like having them just like explore different words and seeing how the words resonate in their body. Exactly. That is pretty good. What is the most challenging case that you've seen or the cases that you can talk about? Because I have some clients that like don't ever want their stuff to be talked about. And then I have some clients that are like, use me, (laughs) like tell the world. So the world knows. Yes. Well, I think there's like, what I find really can be challenging. And I've seen a few clients, um, like this where basically they feel it's almost like, like a sexual aversion or like a sex phobia, you know? So like any sort of touch or any sort of like sensuality or sexuality sort of like sends them into like a panic. Is that from, is that usually from trauma or what is that from? You would think, right? You think, oh, there must've been something that has happened in their past um, that's sort of being triggered. And in some cases there, there is some of that, but in some there, there isn't like a specific traumatic event. Sometimes it's more related to um, like religious programming or yeah, like really negative, um, you know, viewpoints about sex, that it's, it's dirty, it's wrong, it's bad. Um, and then just this really visceral, like internal overwhelm panic reaction. How do you navigate that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, with the, like moving into touch in like a very, like I described with the sensate focus exercise, it's, it's an exposure based technique right? In a way, because you're exposing somebody to kind of the source of their anxiety, which is physical touch. So even we might not probably not, right? Start with like sexual touch and especially not genitals and breasts and all that kind of thing, but you can really kind of scale this back and just start with where the person is at. So you might, um, you might like have them just touch themselves with clothes on, right? Or just look at themselves um, in a mirror, right? Maybe even using a mirror to look at their genitals for a few minutes, right? Or just, yeah, label their own anatomy or, um, yeah, just just sit naked in front of a mirror. Um, Sometimes those things are even too intense, right? Just looking, gazing in your own eyes in a mirror, like, you know, just take it way back. I know. Yeah. Like, right. It can be so intense. When I, when I was like 18 or 19, when I first did it and it was like, it was just, honestly, it was traumatizing. <laughs> and, I, and then I was like, what is going on? Like, cause I had never, I mean, throughout my whole life, I had never just like stood there in front of a mirror naked, just looking like studying my body and like being like, what feelings are coming up for you? You know, which was the exercise. Like you had to write a five page paper on everything that came up for you in that three minutes. And like, I could have wrote a 20 page paper about it. Like it was just, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, 
why do I have so many feelings that are coming up by like looking at my naked body? It's just like so interesting. And it's also interesting too, that it's like at that point in my life, I had had a couple different um, sexual partners and it was, but even then in like retrospect, looking back now, I mean, I was really sexually shy. Like I could have sex, but then immediately I'd put on my clothes and it's like not really wanting to be naked in front of somebody like I, or I would like cover my boobs as I get something, you know, and it's just like, it's, there's a lot there. I've personally had to work through a lot of sexual discomfort, you know, to get to where I am now, where it's like, I can, you know, be a powerful woman and take what I want. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But it's like, yeah, like just, yeah, it's it's crazy to me because there's so much work to be done. Like even in people who don't have that extreme, like, you know, sexual aversion or phobia, like there's so much work to be done just in terms of self-love and self-acceptance and doing those kind of behavioral exercises. And then also challenging and sort of rewiring your thinking around sex is is so powerful how do you deal with people in relationship like if you have like one person that's like extremely sexual and one person that is not sexual at all or or like not very sexual like how do you because do you work with couples too or is it more just one-on-one you work with couples too so how do you help them through that like, is there a happy yeah. medium or like, would it does some people have to separate because of it? Like, what would you say? Like, what do you see? Yeah. Yeah. This is a common problem, um, for couples and, and I would call it a desire discrepancy, right? I love that. A, des- a desire discrepancy. That's a good term. Yes. And so kind of working with the difference right and how people experience their sexuality um and there's a few different ways to do this but one of them is you know expanding what it means to be sexual because sometimes you know what like you can be up for kissing and making out and like laying naked together but maybe not up for intercourse and oftentimes people think it's like it's like one or the other like oh now they've signed up for the whole sexual encounter and they're going to have intercourse and all this stuff but you know what you can actually you know there's like a whole scale right like you can just kiss and be together and often the person with the higher sexual desire can be like very fulfilled by those things as well like it doesn't have to be intercourse every time it's just learning how to like get the oxytocin I call it an oxytocin drip you know what I mean like yeah it's getting oxytocin drip in another way so you think that what you've seen is like do you do people usually meet halfway when you're working with that kind of energy or is it like one person's giving a little bit more, like they're giving or giving away, I guess, a little bit more of whatever their desire is. Because if someone is desiring a lot of sex and someone is not desiring a lot of sex, is the person usually that's desiring a lot of sex, the one that's like not getting their needs met? Or would you say that they kind of like through therapy, they're able to kind of find like a different type of agreement? I think it's possible to find um, to find a positive sexual relationship in this situation I think a lot of the time there's there's a lot of like relationship dynamics that go into navigating so many 
Yes. Like, you know, if you're the person who's constantly like wanting more sex, for example, you, you might be approaching your partner a lot and then they like retreat and retreat and retreat more and more. And then like, they don't just retreat when it comes to sex, they like retreat from any physical touch. They don't want to like turn you on. They're like, Oh no, this might lead to sex. This might, you know, create sexual arousal. So there's like this growing distance between members of the couple often yeah, like an aversion. It's like when someone's like overly asking for anything, like it gets annoying. Like even like if you have a friend that's always calling asking for something, it's just like, even if you love that friend, you're just kind of like, fuck, like you're like, you're just like needing a lot of, you're needing a lot from me. And then it can feel like someone's needing too much from you. And if you're already coming from an empty, wow, then it's like that might not feel good. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of creates this really big divide. And so, you know, it doesn't need to be there. Like sometimes it's unnecessary. It's just, it's been created from all of this avoidance and these interactions. So it's like, okay, wait a second. It's not just about sex. Now this person is not getting like maybe any physical touch or very, very little. So they're feeling, you know, really empty and, you know, because this other person doesn't desire sex, it doesn't mean they can't engage in all sorts of other different types of physical touch. Wow. So would you say that like with, with those types of clients, like when you, when you're working with them to like mold, like not mold, but like bring back the divide, is that through the sensate touch as well? Like through the different styles? Yeah, exactly. Like sensate can be so powerful to just reignite and kind of like reconnect people in a non-threatening way. Right. Because when you start with sensate focus, you're like not allowed to engage in intercourse, right? And sex. So it has to be just about touch, which allows that person who's been maybe avoiding it to like touch in a safe way. That's not going to lead to sex. Wow. That's so fascinating to me. Just because it's like the way that I like to think about it with my clients is I, I have four different archetypes that you go through, you know, like I call it the healer, the mystic, the lover, and then the creator and so you like you go through these different archetypes of sexuality but when you're in the role of the healer like the genitals are just off limits like you just like don't you don't like throw your sexuality like it's like you're literally just in service to the person that's in front of you and it's like for however long that they need that for and you know like with couples that have been together for you know like many years sometimes that like healer hat is on for like three months you know because this person needs more energy in this moment and then it's just like being available to listen you know being available to listen to their body and like what's going on and it's not like a means to an end it's not like I'm gonna do this for you so you can do this for me it's like looking at like the long the long-term partnership you know so for for that being said like what are some things that you see and things that you would advise people when they're embarking on a long-term partnership? Like what are the kind of like the hiccups that you see in long-term partnerships? Yeah, I think that's, it's so true because there's different, like I like to kind of think about life and like your journey as a couple in a long-term partnership as there's going to be seasons. So like there's seasons where, you know, you're really connected and maybe your sexual relationship really does come easily and you don't have to put much into that. Like often that's at the beginning of a relationship. Right. But then there might be different periods of time where, you know, like you have 
children or, you know, some, there's a crisis in your family or you have like a parent who's sick or something like that, that you have to, um, attend to. And so that's a season where maybe there's a drop in sexuality and, you know, maybe comes back again. Right. And there's just these different seasons of life and to, you know, embrace those sometimes and to know that, um, yeah, it doesn't have to be distressing. Like a lot of people aren't distressed when they're having sexual difficulties or not having sex, you know, as often as they used to, because it's just, they know they're moving through these seasons. So I always invite people to kind of reflect on that too. Like, Hey, what, what season are you in? What's going on? That's really amazing to look at it as like a season. My parents talk about that. My parents were, have been married for 38 years and they're just like, you know, like there's good years and bad years. And if you're lucky, you don't have too many bad years in a row. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But it's so good. Well, thank you so much um, for coming on today and giving us your expertise. Is there any other things like from your career and being a sex therapist like anything that you want to share with us of just like how to have a healthy and happy sex life? Mm -hmm. One thing that has been powerful for me kind of across working with clients and, you know, also teaching is just the idea of getting to know your own sexual script. Like how do your sexual interactions play out with your partner what role do you play? And are there pieces of that script that you want to change that aren't working for you, right? Like you don't have to go by the script. You can be creative. You can be open and kind of explore different aspects of touch and sexuality and identity. And I think that's, um, that can be really helpful for people just to like expand. I love that expansion and creating your own sex life. Yes. Yeah. And then where can everybody, well, first of all, are you taking new patients or no? Um, yes, in Canada. So I'm registered in the province of British Columbia in Canada. People call you from other places and you'd be like on the phone or Zoom in Canada, or does it not work like that with psychology? It doesn't. No. So people that are in Canada or want to travel to Canada and then can they find, they can find you on Instagram. So where can everyone find you? Yeah. So my Instagram is at Dr. Kate Goldsmith. And then um, my website as well, www.kaitlingoldsmith.com with more about my work and my blog. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Caitlin. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course.